This Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. Joining me today is Ricky Nyuku. She is the Associate Director at Womanico Transforming Spaces. Together, Ricky and I have been recording our Mind the Gap series of conversations. And through this series, we have endeavoured to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to gender inequality. Taking a systemic view of this pervasive issue, we discussed just what makes inequality and gender bias so sticky and what small successive steps are needed to create lasting change. We kicked off our Mind the Gap series with an exploration of how far women have come in our fight for equality and the systemic forces still at play in holding us back from achieving true transformation. In part two, we discussed the role of ethnicity in perpetuating gender inequality. Part three focused on how carrying an unfair share of the mental load is holding us back and just what we as women can do about it. Part four looked at the role that women play in driving transformation, whilst in our last part, part five, we pivoted to our focus to look at how men can be an ally to us in driving this change. And now for our final part in the series, we take a practical view of just what needs to happen now in order for us to move forward. So welcome, Ricky. I'm so pleased to have you back with us today. Hey, Karen, I'm so glad to be finishing off this immense journey that we have taken. Fantastic. So, Ricky, looking back on our discussion so far, do you think that we have covered the most important things that need to shift in order to promote a more equitable world? Our discussion has covered, it's been quite a journey, and we've looked at the history of gender equality, we've looked at the roots. We've looked at some of the topical manifestations, as well as some of the things that men and women can do to address such a systemic problem. But there are many more areas that can be discussed. We were really looking at the broad strokes of it, and they, we could have discussions on gender-based violence, on sexual and reproductive health rights, on economic empowerment, just to give a few examples. What's important about when you dig into these deeper topics is that it's important to understand that the root cause is gender inequality and to acknowledge that men, women, and all institutions in society have a crucial role to play. Ultimately, it's critical that we invest the time and resources in building a more equitable world. And it doesn't matter what we use to persuade ourselves on why this is a critical matter. We can use statistics and numbers if you want, you know, and we know that working on gender equality can increase GDP by 12 to 20% in the next 25 years. Or if you're a person who's more about social facts, we know that working on gender equality improves equitable development in society, access to education, access to food, the development of children and our future as a society, and that benefits us all as society. But beyond these investments, we must begin to listen to women to understand where and how to do the work of dismantling gender inequality. Absolutely. 
So one of the areas I think we need to focus on in addition to this is the role of the organization. So particularly we women, where we do find that equitable employment or at least gainful employment or paid employment, paid work, you know, within that gender inequality is certainly on the agenda. But are we actually seeing this in practice? So we're all striving for, towards this, we're all working for this, but day to day within organizations in your experience, is it enough that, you know, our company's doing enough to drive gender inequality? Are we doing enough to drive gender inequality within our workplaces? So gender equality is most certainly on the agenda. And in the global context, it's a lot that is happening. Whether you're talking about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal 5, whether you're talking about initiatives that are focused on organizations like the Women's Empowerment Principles, there's a push and a demand for organizations to take specific actions on gender equality. But the picture that we're seeing is that things are getting worse, not better. Because we're living in a time where we are living out the impacts of COVID and the impact of COVID has seen an extension on the timeline of what it will take, how many years it'll take us to achieve gender parity. We're now sitting at 132 years to achieve gender parity. We're also living in a time where there is a lot and an increase in social polarization. It's being fueled by social media. And now in 2023, we're facing the fears of an economic recession. All of these things, they skew the priority and the resource allocation for organizations. That's just the global context. If we begin to look inside organizations, what we have seen is that organizations tend to focus on representation. So they focus on how many women are in employ and how many women are accessing procurement, for example. The other thing they tend to focus on is women's leadership. I'll tell you why this is not enough. First of all, as I mentioned, it's going to take us 132 years to get to gender parity. So progress is really slow. When we look at statistics, currently women are only 46% of the global workforce. We're more than half of the population of the world, but only 46% of the global workforce. And we all know that there aren't enough jobs in the first place. But what we see is that this percentage, it decreases exponentially as you rise in seniority in organizations. By the time you're getting to top, to, top leadership, less than 10% of top leadership globally are women. So these initiatives are not working. That's the first problem. The initiatives that we're focused on are not working. But the bigger problem is that organizations do not understand the experience of women in organizations. They don't understand the gender discrimination and sexual harassment that women face. They don't understand the way that organizations address or can address the significant barriers that women face, barriers like the burden of care and the motherhood penalty that we talked about when we did our mental load episode. And they don't understand the internal barriers that women are facing, internal barriers that have been planted in women since they were born, internal barriers that impact on the confidence of women, so like the confidence gap they face, and the fact that women are raised to achieve the good girl syndrome, right? So they walk around with the good girl syndrome, which impacts on how they are interacting as women in organizations. So ultimately, when it comes to women, 
organizations are failing to recognize that women are still expected to think like a man and act like a man when they're at work. And that's very alienating. More than that, organizations have really, really struggled to address the relationships and to address behavior with of men and women and between men and women in, in the organization. Part of the reason is that behavioral change initiatives have not specifically focused on gender and are usually buried inside kind of quick fix approaches around diversity, inclusion, and equity. Organizations are wary to kind of do the long-term work that it takes to change behavior. Because if we've talked about it, if we're going to change behavior, we have to begin to look at systems. We have to get down and dirty with our people. And it takes time. We have to get them and give them the space to think about, well, how are my religious beliefs really impacting on how I behave? How are my religious beliefs really impacting on the decisions I take as a leader? And when we're not providing that kind of room and that kind of space inside organizations, what we're actually doing is we're asking people to behave automatically. So take this training and then behave differently. And we're not equipping them with the tools for the kind of behavioral change. So I think the biggest mistake organizations are making is not understanding that this is a long-term endeavor. It is a deep investment and it has to focus on gender in particular, if you want to see outcomes for gender. Absolutely. Now your work with Womanico centers exactly on this. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you partner with organizations to drive transformation? And perhaps just a, a, a really, if you could give us one of each examples of where and where you've worked with an organization that has been really receptive to this and you've been able to to drive significant change and then perhaps a, a view it to perhaps organizations that took that first step, but something internally perhaps wasn't ready for them to receive this and what challenges or barriers to entry you experienced and how these were overcome. Okay, well, that's a lot of questions. I think maybe starting at the challenges and barriers to entry. So as you stated, Romanico Transforming Spaces focuses on this work. We really seek to partner with organizations in a long-term change process. And I think the biggest barrier has been the idea that doing gender equality work is doing some kind of siloed extra work, right? It's not really understanding that it is very much part of the strategic direction and focus of an organization. So often we're coming in via transformation or diversity initiatives, and these are siloed into particular areas and not the most powerful and strategic areas of the organization. People are looking for these quick fixes, but it takes time for people to understand and accept that we have to do different things differently, differently from the way I was raised to be able to work effectively with women in our workplaces. So that's been one of the barriers, just the understanding of the nature of the work. So at Womanico, we have begun to say, look, even though we are dealing with gender equality, we are dealing with organizational change and transformation across the organization. It has to be at leadership levels. It has to be in terms of the systems and procedures, and it has to be amongst the people. Um, I've mentioned that 
the long-term nature of the work is often not well understood. And that it begins to seep into other areas of work. So if you come in and you're seen as running a training program on sexual harassment, the anticipation and understanding is not that you're going to end up talking about organizational culture, you're going to end up talking about communication in organizations, you're going to end up talking about leadership. But that is exactly what happens. Because if we want to change workplaces to be a space where women are safe, where women can show up with the full authenticity and contribute to the workplace and contribute effectively and therefore stay in a workplace, we have to change much more than the idea that we all accept women's equality. So those have been some of the barriers. And I mean, I think in the South African context, it is challenging being an organization that is run and led by Black women. There is often a trust deficit. So we found it's easier to work with partners who who, who have greater credibility. Our credibility is questioned a lot. Who are you? Who have you worked with? Are the kind of questions that we get asked. And that's why we seek partners who are committed to doing the work and journeying with us and building that relationship. We don't expect people to have the trust. We we work for the trust. Now, in some of the organizations that we have worked with, we have a current client that we're doing work with that is particularly focused on gender-based violence. So the entry point was, how do we reckon with gender-based violence as a business? And as usual, the expectation was we're going to run a program and by training their people, we're going to fix the system. But it is a partner that is very committed on addressing gender-based violence and that's committed on really understanding the role of business or organizations in terms of addressing gender-based violence in society. So they have been quite flexible in allowing us to put together a long-term program and a program that begins to seep into their organizational systems and questions their leadership and you know the leadership skills and capabilities. So the focus is not just on training. The focus is when we're doing the training, what are we learning about the organization? When we're having the conversations and enabling the conversations about your people, what are we learning about how the organization systemically or structurally perpetuates the problem? And so it has been it has been an interesting process. It has been this process of continuously explaining that we didn't come here just to train. We always understood that that training was going to lead to more. And I think that's the, that's the issue for organizations who are seeking this kind of transformation. It's not an investment in just training. You have to listen to what you hear in the training and it leads to more and more work. A good example is in doing this gender-based violence work, we focus our work on understanding gender norms. So we really help people to grapple with gender norms and their own upbringing, their own social and cultural context. And so what has emerged in the program is that they are specific religious belief systems that make it difficult for people to begin to question the gender norms that they have changed. There are specific cultural norms that make it difficult for people, and I say people, men and women, 
to question the gender norms that they have changed. So what does this mean for our client? It means that when our client is considering how to deepen the work, it creates space and it creates the opportunities for these large elements of their, you know, their people to have conversations with religious leadership, with cultural leaders, to really begin to ask, but is there room for me to hold this religious belief and to, to accept the equality of the LGBTQI community? So it, it is work that is unended, but when we deepen it, it becomes work that seeps into society. So some of the benefits that we have seen or some of the results that we have seen is we have seen and we have seen the, 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 the participants in the environment that we've worked. We've seen the participants really beginning to grapple with how they raise their own children and the role they play in their own home as men and women. So like really grappling with the burden of care. And we have seen them being more vocal around gender-based violence. So finding the courage to say, wow, so we know that gender-based violence is wrong. It's a huge issue in South Africa, but we haven't had the courage to speak about it in different contexts, in our families, in our communities, because of the fears that are embedded in our gender norms. So now we are finding the voice to be able to speak up, to be able to support each other, and to be able to set up initiatives in our communities to be able to set up conversations. So it kind of blossoms and spreads into society. It's a very effective way of ensuring that the very important social work that we have to do around understanding gender equality and why we have failed as a society to bring it to fruition means we have to have deep conversations. We have to examine the beliefs that we have held on to, and we have to expand our belief systems. Yeah. So those are some of the examples that we have seen. And it has been very interesting work with staff volunteering to take up a champion role and really thinking hard about how to integrate gender-based violence as a value across the organization. So all the way to, so then what are we funding in our CSI programs? Because in having these conversations amongst our employees, one thing we know is that it's difficult for women to leave domestic violence situations because they don't have a place to go. So we would like to see our organization through CSI funding a shelter and a shelter with an, an economic empowerment program so that these women have alternatives. Because once we know that women are staying in dangerous situation, our own colleagues, by the way, these are the conversations that we've had, are staying in dangerous situations because they don't have financial and economic alternatives. I, I think it's it's a very scary place that we find ourselves in because we have, one can almost get complacent on the one hand because for a lot of us, significant progress has been made. But when we look at it in context, you know, we, we, we are far along on this path, but there is still a long way to go. But I've really loved this series because it's really shed some light onto why this problem is so, so sticky. And, and you know, we know attitudes in general are, are resistant to change. But when it comes to, to gender specifically with, you know, just so much socialization, so many so many areas where where our biases are just so prevalent. 
it, it's going to take a long time, as you were saying. I think, what was it? You said 136 years to unravel. It's 132 years at the moment, <laughs> but it goes up two years every year. Fantastic. <laughs> so we're nearly at that 136 mark. But I think it's really interesting. And I think for each of us, you know, again, just starting with where we are, what can we do within our ourselves to, to acknowledge the biases we carry or the biases that we perpetuate in our you know, within the way we see ourselves within the world, with the way we interact with our families, and then the way we we show up at work on a daily basis and how we participate in society. I think it's a, a noble cause for, for each of us to really take on and to, to deeply sit and have a look at. And I think one of the, the things over the series that I've really enjoyed with you, Ricky, is we've we've delved into all of those layers and, and given some good insight and, and practical steps on what we can do in order to start breaking these chains, I suppose, if you if you can put it that way. So thank you. It's really I've really enjoyed it. Any closing remarks from from your side before we close out? Well, I mean, I think that for organizations, it is very small steps. Many organizations, as I said, without economic and social context, are struggling to see where and how to invest the resources. So I think investing in women's in women's forums or women's spaces, but not just to have them, to have them do a very particular program of delving into the issues and of unpacking what does it look like in our organization so that it makes sense for the organization so that we can see that when we're investing in procurement, when we're investing in corporate social investment, when we're investing in our people and our training, it is relevant and contributing to the business overall. It's relevant and contributing to the organization and what it's wanting to achieve. And I think if organizations could understand the huge impacts it will have, not just social impacts. I mean, it's been shown statistically that by improving gender equality in an organization, you improve the bottom line in the organization. So when we can see those benefits by investing in them and being very focused on that, even if it's a small thing of a woman's forum and having them do a very particular program and listening to what it is that they say, they will always come back with these are the problem areas and these are the ways we can fix it. That is a way that you can be guided on doing some of this work and be able to see the impacts as opposed to making giant global pledges and then never seeing any change over time. Excellent. I think that's some sage advice. Thank you, Ricky. Again, what a great series we have recorded. And thank you for joining me and sharing your expertise. Just for our listeners, Ricky, again, is the Associate Director at Womanico Transforming Spaces. And of course, Womanico is a specialist consultancy that specializes in gender equality, working with corporates, non-governmental organizations and donors. And of course, providing services for complete gender transformative change, including diagnostics, advisory, program facilitation, leadership development, coaching, and evaluation. So thank you once again, Ricky. Thank you so much, Karen.